Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week another segment in Fascism in Fiction, this week with 15 Minutes of Fascism's first ever live in-person recording. We're going to be talking about Harry Potter, and I am joined by a special guest, Allie Cleary, a local Harry Potter expert. My qualifications are having been born in the 1990s and writing some fan fiction. Nice to meet you. So uh, we're going to get started by me asking you, Allie, some questions about like analogs that Harry Potter has regarding fascism and the right wing in general. There are a lot of pretty clear ones in the Harry Potter universe, uh, but first I want to start with some of the bases for this right wing or fascist political stuff that's going on in the Harry Potter world. Specifically, I want to talk about like how racism works in the Harry Potter universe. Seems to me like there is a lot of clear racist analog stuff in the like pure blood, half blood thing like that, that, that the wizarding world has. So my question is that clearly Harry Potter uses, or J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter, uses this like pure blood versus people who aren't pure blooded wizards as an analog for racism. And often it seems like specifically Nazi type racism and like pure Aryan blood and stuff like that. How does the books, you know, how do the books handle this? Like, like, is it, is it really transparent that that's supposed to be an analogy or is it supposed to be something that like a kid might kind of understand? It's pretty clear to the reader early on. The first time this is introduced is uh, in the second book when Draco Malfoy calls Hermione a slur for muggle-borns, which is mudblood, and everybody gets really upset, and Ron gets especially upset having been uh, raised in the wizarding world. Um, it's, a, it's a clear slur. We see that there's a lot of inconsistency in the way that different blood statuses are treated and it, it doesn't get into the nitty-gritty until about the seventh book when Voldemort takes over the Ministry of Magic and starts actually um, bringing in muggle-borns for interrogation. They're accused of stealing their magic, stealing their wands, stripped of their status in society and stripped of their ability to make money or their ability to participate in any way. We see them homeless on the street uh, or kicked out of their houses. Also another status that is worth mentioning, which is squib, which is the opposite of a muggle-born. It's A squib is a person without magic who is born to wizarding parents, and it's very taboo. And it's considered a taboo to talk about it, and people treat squibs as shameful and sad. But so so in the Harry Potter universe, the, like this is clearly supposed to be like the analog of racial or ethnic categories that the Harry Potter universe has. But it seems like unlike some of those things, like, you know, if we accept race as being a socially constructed thing, whether or not a person was born to a wizard is just like a true immutable fact about the world. Right. Like like. Like so, so in that sense, that the analog for racism in the Harry Potter universe is just like straight up real, right? Like, like in the sense that like a person having magic is just actually a true fact and does make them, in many ways, 
just like more powerful or smarter, able to understand the react like the real truth behind the world, right? Like 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 how does the book deal with that aspect of or how do the books deal with that aspect of this this analogy? Yeah, they're Wizards aren't considered smarter. They are portrayed as smarter, whereas muggles are often portrayed as confused. For example, the way that a muggle repellent charm works is that a muggle gets to the place where they're not supposed to go and then suddenly remembers that they've left a kettle on or that they see a sign that says no trespassing or something similar. And the wizards delight in their cleverness of fooling the silly muggles. But it is only in the wizard's desire to remain secret and perhaps not burned at the stake that they are smarter or more capable, except for the fact that they can, in fact, do magic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is this, th- this is where the analogy gets all confusing to me, because it's like, sometimes, you know, the purity of the wizards is, like, clearly an analogy to, like, Nazi racial ideology around racial purity, but then other times they're like the fact that they are in fact being written as like a secret cabal that does in fact control the world would make them a you know potentially like a racist analogy for Jewish people or something like that, like like people who need to hide and conceal themselves in order to be safe from the majority that wouldn't understand them. Perhaps, but I'd say it's more likely to be read by its audience as an allegory for queerness. Mm, okay. Yeah, that is super interesting because, like, it's, you know, it's something that, that they need to hide in the regular world, but that they get to be sort of proud and open about in their in, in their communities that they've built for themselves that are, like, for themselves, right? Yeah, and that's why so many queer people have connected with the Harry Potter universe. Harry finds out that he was part of something all along. He goes and there's a whole place that's magical and full of people who were waiting for him and who accept him and who help show him who he is um, and who he was always meant to be. And that that's a fantasy that is appealing to many people in many demographics, but uh, the queer community in particular latched onto the Harry Potter universe, which is partly why J.K. Rowling's transphobia is such a betrayal. Yeah. So so it makes, obviously, you know, like we're talking about a work of fiction here. So, so a lot of these things can be metaphors for a lot of things. But, you know, I think given what happens later on in the books, which, again, I haven't read, I've gotten them mostly in descriptions from you. Um, oh, no. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, given what happens later on in the books about, like, organizing the world based upon one's birth status it, it seems like in fiction the metaphor is about race uh, or, or or at least a lot of it is um yeah so in the seventh book voldemort takes power over the ministry of magic uh through subterfuge and then finally through violence um and At that time, he starts categorizing people by their blood status, quote-unquote. Voldemort himself had a muggle father and a witch mother. He is said to be very sensitive about his blood status, but nobody challenges him on it because he's scary. And in general in the Harry Potter universe, people with half-blood status aren't really examined or questioned. It's really, the focus is on muggle-born people 
squibs, I think, and and then there's a just sort of blanket desire to oppress muggles, for example, in the seventh book, when Harry, Ron, and Hermione are infiltrating the Ministry of Magic to steal back the locket that has become a horcrux. Um, they find that the fountain has been replaced by this new statue. Uh, there's a, a magical family kind of standing on a giant pile of muggles. Hundreds and hundreds of naked bodies, men, women, and children, all with rather stupid, ugly faces, twisted and pressed together to support the weight of the handsomely robed wizards. Muggles in their rightful place. Yikes. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty transparent allegory right there. Uh, I also want to say that I can't help, I couldn't help but read this, like, you know, Voldemort is sort of like quasi secretly or maybe like openly secretly born half of Muggle and half of Wizard himself. I can't help but see that as like an allegory for all these, you know, stories and legends about Hitler having a Jewish grandparent or something like that and like hiding it and destroying the records and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, which, is, which, which is a common statement about Hitler himself. Before we get into the, like, fascist allegory of Voldemort taking over the ministry, I want to talk about, about the other sort of, like, race analogy that happens in the Harry Potter universe, which is humans versus other magical races. So, like, there's the, there's the wizarding hierarchy of, like, pure versus muggle versus half-blood versus muggle-born versus all of these, like, sort of, quote-unquote, race tra- traitor perceptions that they seem to have like like you told me about muggle loving as a, as a slur yeah so the weasleys are often accused of being muggle loving especially arthur weasley who works in the misuse of magical artifacts office and he notoriously loves all things to do with muggles and is fascinated by muggles and is not respected uh, by the community at large and is generally considered to be sort of bumbling and hapless because of his love of muggles. And he's portrayed as such to Harry as well, but of course Harry likes and respects him. But more interestingly to you perhaps is the relationship between the Harry Potter wizarding universe and other magical creatures. So first uh, we have goblins who run the um, magical banks, and they also have uh, seem to have a society around and a culture around wealth building and hoarding and reclaiming wealth. And the Ministry of Magic denies them access to wands at all. In addition to goblins, we also have house elves who are literally enslaved, but only Hermione seems to think that there's a problem with this, and everybody else justifies it by saying that they want to be enslaved. I know that the memes, and I, you know, I think it's more than memes. I think it's like, it's, it's, it seems pretty transparent in the way that they're depicted, at least in the movies and what I remember of the books, that, that the goblins play very clearly into really bad anti-Semitic tropes. And then the house elves themselves also play deeply and terribly into a lot of tropes that very racist people had about enslaved persons and other people who were like subjugated in colonial societies, right? That these people not only need to be enslaved, but they actually want it or they enjoy it or they prefer it. You know, like, like if you, if you think about movies like Disney's Song of the South or something like, like, like this kind of, this kind of myth, right? So that's just like present in the books. Yep. Wow. That's bad. 
that really is awful. Um, and on so on top of that, we have so the wizards are they have their own internal racial hierarchy, but then they also have these other racial hierarchies against goblins and elves, and then other magical creatures as well, right? Yeah. So werewolves are interesting. Werewolves are canonically an allegory for people with uh, HIV. And the werewolves live, quote, underground, unquote, which I think is figurative and are usually portrayed as either super violent or as um, Lupin, who has no money and is always sort of shabby, uh, described as shabby and kind of sick. And Voldemort's side recruits werewolves more successfully than Albus Dumbledore's does because they offer a life above ground, even though that life is in exchange for violence and murder. Well, yeah, that's also a kind of creepy way to use an analogy for, for, for like, for like real life stuff. If, if this is supposed to be an, an allegory for being, you know, HIV positive or something, but then like, it does in fact transform you into a murderous monster. Whoops. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Also, we said we wanted to talk about centaurs too. Yeah, I mean, centaurs live in the woods and they have some foresight, uh, some, some prescience, and in general are oppressed by the Ministry of Magic and don't have any rights. Uh, Dumbledore recruits a centaur to work as the divination professor at Hogwarts and... This is not met with much approval by the Ministry of Magic. So, like, in the fantasy world, in the in the good version of the fantasy world of Harry Potter, humans are oppressing all other magical creatures. That is the state, and the Ministry is generally portrayed as being weak and very political and Cornelius Fudge is more interested in defending his job than he is doing any particular policy and nobody seems to have a problem except Hermione. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, talk about escapist fantasy. <laughs> um now I mean, I don't know. Uh obviously I'm not I'm I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum, but it but it does seem like it it, it is interesting that it's like, you know, the the good version of the government that is replaced by Voldemort's fascist allegory is itself, you know, like oppressive and violent and racist. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Hermione does become the minister of magic oh, on she a does? platform of elf rights. Oh, well, so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. I did not know that. Yeah, this racism is is addressed often. And mm-hmm. in general, like, this is one of the, the things that makes Dolores Umbridge so evil is that she's very anti-magical creature and anti-house elf and anti-centaur, etc. Um, and so we we see that racism equals evil and uh, Hermione equals good. But Harry Harry's pro-magical creatures comes in fits and spurts when he saves Buckbeak and when he buries Dobby and saves Dobby from Lucius Malfoy, but he does nothing when Hermione is steadily campaigning for elf rights for seven years. And in fact, he and Ron often roll their eyes and 
try to get away from her when she's doing that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, uh, I don't know. It, it, it just doesn't seem like a very flattering light to plunge your protagonists in. I want to, I want, I want to get now to like some of the, some of the more like clear fascist allegory stuff, which, which we touched on a little bit. So uh, as I'm given to understand the plot of the last bits of the series, you know, books six and seven is like the rise and success of Voldemort's political movement, which is about wizard superiority, right? You know, if, if you were writing this book today, the phrase wizard supremacist might have been part of the book. I mean, it, is, is, is that just something they say? Yes. Wizard supremacy, I'm sure. Oh, they do? Was, was in there. I don't have a quote up, but yeah. And um, the first time we're introduced to Voldemort's followers is when they have a demonstration at the World Cup, the Quidditch World Cup, at the beginning of book four, and they are marching around in hoods and masks. And in the movies, this is portrayed as a pointed hood. And they run around lighting tents on fires and torturing muggles. Not only torturing muggles, but hoisting them up and holding them above their heads in the air. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's like clearly a clan allegory, right? Like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Using, using imagery and, and activities that the Ku Klux Klan literally participated in. Do the Death Eaters, who are Voldemort's followers, like, are there other things about them that seem to, like, play out that allegory a little bit? Yeah, well, there's the Dark Mark is cast into the sky anytime they have done something evil um or that that they've been they've killed somebody so that might be parallel to hanging a nazi flag somewhere mm -hmm. so the the death eaters themselves they're not like a political party right they're more like a paramilitary organization right they're like they're like people who believe a thing and they go around committing acts of violence in order to get what they want right they're more like terrorists i'd say so there are theoretically people who hold these beliefs in their hearts and feel this way, but uh, they lost a war already, and so they can't publicly live by these values, and a lot of these values, quote-unquote, are illegal. But so they, like, they, 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 they did fight a war previously, and they lost, but then they do actually take over the ministry. They it, do take over the UK. Well, they lost because... Voldemort was killed, and Voldemort was kind of their main ticket. Then, whoops, Voldemort wasn't killed, and they recruit people by a few different methodologies. One is through Hogwarts, and so Slytherin is just kind of a Hitler youth organization. <laughs> and um, oddly enough, a lot of the recruiting got done by Dolores Umbridge, who is not a Death Eater. She just clumps up all the Slytherins into a little group of internal police and trains them up that way. But then Voldemort takes over Hogwarts and is drilling people on how to torture people and, you know, drilling them on the philosophies that he wants them to embody. They recruit by using mind control, using the Imperious Curse. Um, they recruit by threatening people's families. They recruit 
through there, there's a few characters who are recruited and we're not totally sure why but it is potentially young downwardly mobile men who don't feel like they have a place in society such as stan shunpike if you've been listening to the podcast that phrase should be very very familiar what what podcast why this very podcast 15 minutes of fascism a sadly topical podcast covering global rise of the radical right with your host dr johnson yeah, so talking about talking about the recruitment of people to the Death Eaters, that makes them sort of like a clear and interesting allegory for like a fascist paramilitary organization. And in some ways, not a terrible one. Like some people seem to join because they, yeah, because they join it for the reasons that people join political movements in general. But it does seem to imply that like a lot of the people join because they're forced to do it, Right. Many of them do, and a lot of the ones that are in it stay because there isn't really a way for them to get out and because the leader is so powerful that you'll just die. So, like, after the first Voldemort war, was there, like, an amnesty thing? Like, if you were in the Death Eaters, did you just, like, like, did they have a denazification? So many of the Death Eaters went to prison, Mm -hmm. and many of them who narked got to go free so for example well and then and like lucius malfoy i think everybody knew was a death eater but nobody could prove it and then like igor karkaroff got released because he narked on a whole bunch of people Mm -hmm. and then there were a bunch that uh were just in prison and then voldemort broke them out okay so like we've been talking about voldemort voldemort is clearly a clan or like a neo-nazi allegory specifically right he's operating in the 20th century or in the late 20th century which means that we got to talk about the 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 actual specifically Hitler analog in Harry Potter, uh, who, uh, as far as I know, sort of appears in the background of the books, but is a main subject of some of the more recent movies, Grindelwald, and so he's like, he takes over the he's trying to take over the world, right? And it's in the 1940s, you Europe, know. Yeah, starts yeah, and he's like, and he's like a wizard supremacist. And all that stuff. Yes, and he recruits a young, brilliant intellectual by making out with him the one and only Albus Dumbledore. And the two of them decide to conquer the world for the greater good, which includes potentially putting muggles in their place. Dumbledore is young and impressionable and goes along with this because he's excited about the power. He's ambitious. He's captivated by myth and... He thinks that Grindelwald is hot. And I mean, there's, there's, and there's some, there's some good historical allegory there, specifically in that, like, young, impressionable, specifically young men in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, a lot of them did, like, fall in love with fascism because it was, like, the hot shit, because it was, like, the hot new cool stuff that people were doing, um, and people would just, like, go places to do it. The relationship this also, might also be an allegory for the scientists that worked for oh yeah um for for the Nazi party and you know if you have the resources to do incredible things then I'm not I'm not sure how much that was actually explored but that might have been what she was going for I mean that makes sense yeah you know like that that you could imagine that being an allegory for somebody who like wants to expand knowledge but doesn't have any scruples or something like that but so Grindelwald loses and he like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like Grindelwald's war against the world 
literally and specifically coincides with World War II. Well, like with the <laughs> European front of World War II, Yes, right? yeah. I'm sure J.K. Rowling would say that it was World War II or that it caused the human World War II or something like that. She, Ugh, she never said that, but... Boo. Or maybe she did. I don't know. I don't pay attention to her anymore, but... Uh, th- uh, that, that, that's not me saying boo to you sharing that detail. That's me saying boo to any fictional depiction of the Nazis that robs them of their humanity, which is the most important thing to learn about them, that they're human beings just like anybody else who chose to do horrible things. Yes, indeed. So, Dr. Johnson... Is Voldemort a fascist? I think that there is a better... I think there's a better case for Voldemort being a fascist than uh, Emperor Palpatine, the, the previous sort of like Hitler fascist analog that I talked about in the last episode of Fascism in Fiction. Why? Voldemort intentionally tries to convince people. He's got a, a clear ideology that he seems to believe in. He has political ambitions and goals. He uses violence and threats of violence in order to get his 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 um, his operation underway. I think that some of the detracting things are what you talked about about like how they recruited people, because like I I absolutely boo any allegory of fascism that gives the people who participated in it an out by saying like oh they were literally brainwashed when like. I don't know. It's a political ideology. You get, people got convinced by it. Like, that's the danger. That's the horror of it. The horror of it is that it's not supernatural. And I think that I think that making some of the appeal of the fascist demagogue, well, literally, he's the most powerful being in the world and he can, like, point a stick at you and mind control you. Like, I, I, I think that takes away some of the bite. Sure. I think that this might be one of the reasons why there's so much racism in the Harry Potter universe, though. J.K. Rowling wants to show how close this world was to wanting to follow someone like Voldemort. Oh, yeah. And we we see how sympathetic people are to some of this ideology when it comes right down to it. There's so many people who are anti-Muggle secretly in the privacy of their homes. And he didn't have to do as much campaigning and convincing, but there's so much sympathy that there wasn't a whole lot of opposition and a lot of the opposition had to work in secret. Yeah, that's a that's a super good point. I think that I think that that points to yeah, that points to one of the strengths of the narrative that like this ideology is not presented as unusual or like it comes from outside the world, it clearly comes from inside the world and it's not only the super duper evil people who say some of the stuff, right? Some some of the sort of normal people say some of this shitty stuff. Absolutely. Some of this like racist stuff. Yes. Um and that's a that's a really powerful lesson. That's that's a really good one. Um I think that Voldemort as a fascist, he's yeah, like I said, some of his like literal inhuman power, I think it detracts from some of it, but but you're right, um point taken absolutely that like the fact that yeah, he's not, like, literally brainwashing everybody, you know, unlike Palpatine, which, who is implied to have done this in order to become the Galactic Emperor, right? You know, he literally just used magic in order to get people to believe the thing that he believed or to do the things he wanted them to do, as opposed to Voldemort, who is pr- preying on already existing racist ideas and already existing ideas of, of supremacy and power and, you know, deservedness and re-becoming the greatness we never weren't and, you know, that kind of thing, right? So 
Another question is, Voldemort is not a misogynist any more than J.K. Rowling is a misogynist. So if we neutralize... Well, that's super interesting, Misogyny, yeah. you know, any misogyny that he has in the world is is <laughs> baseline. Yeah. Um, and in fact, his number one is Beltrix Lestrange, who is... It's also his lover, right? Yeah. He's yeah. not specifically misogynistic. He's just a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's super... Yeah, that's super interesting and important and different from fascism, too. You know, uh, he's not creating a cadre of young men. He's creating a cadre of people. He it's also does mostly men, though. It is? In fact, oh, okay. I, I'm having trouble thinking of too many women. The, the women are sort of... When you think of Death Eaters, it's usually sort of a cadre of men, but there are a few key women. Are they mostly young? There are a big group from the olden days, okay. uh, his his original group, which would have been about 40 years old at this point, though they're all portrayed by 50-year-old actors in the, in the movies. Um, yeah, 30 to 40-year-olds. And then you have new groups that are 15 to, to 20. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that that too is is pretty much in keeping. You know, some people stay with the gang, and then some people are young people that need to get recruited, and you know, keeping new blood literally in the organization. Yeah, I mean, I would say that so far this is the this is a pretty good one. Um, I still think that it's missing a lot, uh, especially in terms of the narrative of how they take over the ministry. Like, like what what do they like literally do? Mm. Um, so the, someone high up gets, has an Imperius curse on him and and they put more and more agents in the Ministry of Magic with Imperius curse and more and more agents who are just true, true supporters. And one day, quote, the ministry has fallen, unquote. And they don't really talk about exactly how that works, except that they killed the previous minister of magic, Ol' Rufus. So, like, so, 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 it's just a consp- it's a conspiracy based on mind control. So they take over the government. It, it's unclear. This happens while this happens off screen, off off page. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, that's and that too. Yeah. You know, like that's a that's maybe a good allegory towards like a neo-Nazi organization or like a small organization trying to take over a government in a, in a coup, that's not that bad. Um, but it's definitely not an analogy for like how you might win fascism as a, as like a, a dominant political ideology, you know, like for that, it seems like, like Voldemort staged a coup to be in power. Grindelwald won an election, right? Yeah. And, it's, it's very hard to know exactly how many people support the Voldemort ideology and how many don't uh, because his followers are so powerful and are willing to use much worse methodologies than your typical wizards. They just are, I mean, they'll actually kill people, whereas Dumbledore's army is not willing to kill people because uh, the Avada Kedavra curse Cruciatus Curse and the Imperius Curse are all unforgivable curses, so none of them want to use them ever. Um, Harry does, in fact, use two of them at some point, but uh, none of those people are willing to actually kill people. And so that's probably a big reason why Voldemort's group succeeds. 
And there isn't a lot of evidence that there's a majority of supporters, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's a there's a sizable number of people. It's never quite clear, mm -hmm. but there are enough people who are sympathetic or afraid or imperialist to continue to run a government. Or they're like in the resistance, but still running government. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I think, you know, coming at this from the, is this fascism? Does this make sense as a fascist allegory? I think it's a, it's a borderline case. You know, there, there are certainly worse ones. Um, I think it doesn't tick all the boxes. And I think some of the ones that it misses are pretty key. Like, like the one we were just talking about, about like how masses of people do support it, you know, how people just like it. Like, you, you know, we, we talked about earlier about the books implying and showing that some, that a lot of these people are racist and that they like believe in some of the racist ideology behind Voldemort's policies, but we don't get a sense of like a, like a mass movement behind his, his, his ideology. So yeah, I mean, I think in conclusion, it 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 seems like it's a fairly acceptable allegory, although a lot of it is muddied by some of the some of the very intrinsic concepts of the allegory, like the fact that the race allegory, the racial allegories are things that are literally different as opposed to being social constructs like 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 racial and ethnic categories, you know. Yes. Whether or not a person can do magic is just like a true fact about somebody. Whether a person is a centaur or a human being is just a true fact about someone, as opposed to like whether someone is a true-blooded Aryan, which is, you know, made-up nonsense. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics, and also thanking Allie Cleary uh, for her participation in this podcast. Thank you very much. Mischief managed. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And I mean that sincerely. Tell friends, family, and comrades that's how people actually learn about the podcast. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That is also my address on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I am for the moment still on Twitter, hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right and fascism 15 also spelled out uh, like with letters as in not the numerals 15. All right. Thanks, and you'll get the regular news update episode this week on Thursday. Thursday.